Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome along to the Rugby Pod, brought to you in proud partnership with Guinness. And we've got a pretty exciting competition running with them. Uh, we're looking to give five rugby club bars across the UK a Guinness makeover. So Guinness are going to come down to your club and give the bar a full once-over. All you need to do to enter is email DIYGNS at therugbypod.com with the name of your club, a contact name and number, and a photo of your clubhouse bar. You'll also need to tweet us a photo of your team, tagging in the rugby pod and at GuinnessGB and hashtag DIYGNS. Pretty simple stuff uh, for a pretty awesome prize. Winners will be announced in November, so get your entries into DIYGNS at the rugby pod. And uh, remember, Guinness asks that you drink responsibly, so please do not include any irresponsible drinking in the entries. That's Group. a great prize. Imagine old Pisporians. Yeah, I know. They need a new bar, Chief. So they've got to get through the Da Vinci Code of tagging a load of people in. <laughs> no, you've got to tag the rugby pod and at Guinness GB and then hashtag GIYGNS. And you have to email at the same time. So you have to email and tag everyone in. It's like, yeah. Email DIYGNS at the rugby pod.com. Basic- Facebook, Instagram, the lot. Basically get your club secretary to get onto it. So they're normally the most organised. There we go, rugby pod. Goody, you're back. I am back. Cavey was brilliant, wasn't he, last week? He was. He was. What a smooth voice he's got. Yes. Mm. Listen to him on comms at the weekend as well. He was good. Very good. He was Darren, good. I know you're a big listener. You're always welcome back here. He's got some stories as well. He just has to be careful, doesn't he? Why? Because he's still playing. He's, he's got to earn a contract. Didn't we all? Didn't we all? Well, look what happened to you when you started opening up with your stories. Yeah, you're right. Retired. Retired, that was the end. He's got about four years left though, Cavey. Anyway, enough about Cavey. <laughs> it was a twins' first birthday. It was. It was, and we spoke about that. So for their birthday, you treated them to two nannies, right? One each. What's wrong with them? Well, do you not think, I'm going to go on holiday with the kids, I'm going to spend some time with the kids. Is that, Listen, is, don't is, try and, Jim, don't try and turn this round on me. And yes, they, they go to the, the nannies were there, feed them lunch, take them to the kids' club, put them down for a sleep, and then we get them out at four o'clock when it's a bit cooler and take them for a swim. Are these, are they, these nannies being well paid or is it extortion? I was paying them the going rate just above. So uh, the going rate in I mean, Dubai? It's three pound a day or something, isn't it? <laughs> no, not really. No, I, I looked half after them. Half Guinness. Half a pound Guinness looked in London, them, Looked after them very well, actually. So, no, we had a great time. Night flight back. Girls were amazing. Slept all the way. So I was just like, lay out on the bed. <laughs> I saw a massive birthday cake. Yes. How much of that did the twins eat? Absolutely none. I've destroyed it. Really? Myself. No, they had a little bit, actually. You've got to be careful with kids, you know, chocolate. and You don't want to get a sweet tooth, so daddy's got to eat it. That's what I did. Hence why he's got no teeth. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was good. We had a birthday party for them yesterday. All the family were over. No uh, very nice. Any friends invited or not? No. You, uh, no, Jim. You no, were you not are. invited. I know I wasn't invited. That's what I'm asking. <laughs> Just a family do. So, Mrs. Right. Good there? Mrs. Good was there. How was she? She's very good. Asking for me or not? Uh, let me think about that. She, well, you yeah. don't need to think about it. You know straight that she was asking how I was. Of course she was. Of course she was. Well, she texted me anyway and when she was she really? there. Did she? She asked really? me where I was. So it's all, yeah, anyway. Yeah, I'm great as how well. How are you, Jim? Yeah, I'm How's great, lads. Weekend? How was your weekend? Yeah. Yeah. Edinburgh, weren't you? I was up in Edinburgh. Yeah, I had a busy week last week. Flagging this week. I am just feel down. I don't know why. Did you see the kids? I did, I did on Sunday. That's why he feels down. He yeah, says, I'm one day with the kids. It's hard. I'm struggling at the minute. I'm struggling to find the balance in my life. We can talk about it on air, can't we? Because it's not all ups and downs. Just got too much. Just haven't got the work-life balance. I'm looking at Tim, the producer. He's nodding. He can see. He ain't got it either. So, yeah. What do you mean? Well, I was in Hong Kong the week before. Missed my flight, so I was dark about that. That's your own fault. Oh, yeah. Came back, went to Italy, uh, which was amazing. Absolutely. I had a mate of mine that saw you absolutely steaming, weren't you? Was it Italy or Hong Kong? Italy. 
No. Were you not hosed in Italy? Was I hosed? Yeah. Well, I might have been. <laughs> I can't even remember. Yeah. So I was there in Italy, came back, did the podcast Wednesday, Friday, did some filming for Jamie George at his house for the rugby pads, the next episode that's coming out for him. And then Saturday, I'm on a flight, seven o'clock up to Edinburgh, Oosh. doing all the prep, Edinburgh-Toulon, we'll talk about that game after, classic, early flight in the morning, and then saw the kids Sunday, you get home, you're knackered though, they're trying to speak to you and all you're excited, you're just like that. No, I'm, I'm heading back out. <laughs> I'm out of here. And then we're here today. So what are you going to do about your work-life balance? I think it's just that I think everyone in life... I've got a mate, right? Let me let me talk talk you through my mate. I've got a mate who works in the factory, right? What's his name? FNL Mike. FNL Mike. FNL Mike <laughs> works in the factory, right? For the last 10 years, he'll go to work on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's the weekend off. The highlight of his week will be a takeaway on a Friday night. And down the pub on Saturday to watch the football. Amen. Sunday, absolutely dying, right? Sunday is dying all day, repeat on Monday. And I said to him before, not just him, the group of mates that I've got, I was like, lads, London? An hour away, Covers to London. Never been. Half of them have never been. They're like, why would I want to go to London? And holiday, where are you going? I'm going to Mallorca, all you can eat in Spain. Tenegrief. Two or three star hotel, no problem. I was like, what about like Africa or... America or Canada, they're like, nah, why the fuck would I want to do that? Lan- I bet they go Lanzarote, don't they? Lanzarote or, or, uh, or Mallorca. I mean, they're both Lan- good Lan- places, I've been. But that's what I mean. So my <laughs> what my my point is here is their level of contentness in life is something that I wish I had. Because I'm constantly thinking, what else are we doing? What, what's exciting coming up? They're like, right, is the kebab made out of Alsatian or is it made out of cat? <laughs> like, that's, that's the only thing in their mind they're thinking on the Friday. In either way, they're eating it. Yeah. And I just sometimes think, like, they're content. You know what I mean? Like, they're 35, they look 55. Kids? You know what I mean? Any kids? Yeah, they've got kids in there as they're well. They're still doing kebabs Friday night. and Yeah, mate, it's just it's the same. So what are look you saying? At... That this is, the, this is the lifestyle you're looking for? Or? No, I'm just saying that there is no ideal life out there, is there? I don't think there's a perfect scenario in what anyone's doing. It's really difficult to find that work-life experience, lifestyle, money goody. Balance. You just got to work, mate. Yeah, I'm just saying, I'm just too busy at the minute. Just too busy. I want to go and want to have a cat or dog kebab on a Friday <laughs> and see how it is. You can still do that, mate. Yeah, but I can't. I, I do it every Friday as well. Yeah, I know you do. I know you do. But it's more a chicken sheesh wrapped in a peshwari naan. In an organic foil. <laughs> um, Saracens, Racing, Toulouse and Newcastle, the only teams to win two out of two. How good was uh, that from the Falcons over the weekend, guys? Yeah. 80, what was it, 88 minutes, minutes or, or something like that? Ridiculous. Pick and go 40 times to make four yards, and eventually you score. Here we go. You mentioned it. Did you mention it last week, or did Cavesy mention it? I can't remember, and said they should probably forget about the Champions Cup. It wasn't me. I think it was you, Jim. No, it was Cavey. He said that they're... Because Newcastle are the bottom of the league. Yeah, you got a choice to make. Yeah, they are in the prime hot seat for a home... Oh, it's only two games. But in terms of all the teams... You know, you've got Saracens as well, but they've had two tough fixtures. Oh, too long away to start off with. Yeah. Massive win. Oh, mate, I, I wouldn't even say it's a massive win these days. Oh, they, mate, are, it, mate, they are absolutely pony. I know they are. They're a shambles. They're gutless. They're heartless. But Montpellier? Yeah. Joel Hodgson was outstanding. Um, and it's massive to see the reaction of everyone. You know, you get to 88 minutes, and that's Jim Hamilton time, isn't it? That is like, mate, it's, it's a do or die time, <laughs> you know? You've just come on at 86 minutes, and then they pick and go, pick and go, and score the winner. Mate. The French teams, I can't, and this is the thing, I thought we were going to come in today, and I thought Edinburgh would beat too long. We'll come on to that game. Unsure whether Newcastle would beat Montpellier. I didn't expect that at all. And then you've got the Toulouse beating Leinster, so you can't work it out. But all I know, we'll get on to it, because I commentated on the game. Oh my Toulon. Edinburgh were spectacular at times, weren't they? 
They were very good. Yeah. They were very good. And the funniest thing about the interview after with Richard Cockrell, if you listen to it, is like, I still don't reckon we'll get out of the group. Yeah, he did say That's what he said. But in pre-season, not that it matters, they hammered Newcastle down there. So now, I think Edinburgh are in the hot seat. Hot seat, front seat, prime seat? Box seat. Box seat. That's the one I was looking for. He's smart in the gym. That one there. Great at maths, terrible at English. Who was your English teacher? Did you watch the Toulon game or not? No, you were commentating, so I was bored. Mate, absolutely abysmal. And we were talking about it on on commentary. So, Patrice Calazzo, the the coach, he's there on the side of the pitch. And be interested to hear your comments on this, Goody, as well, as an established analysis dick man. <laughs> Analysis to Dick Man. What do you <laughs> so, so the modern day coaches are now up in the boxes looking because you get a much yeah. better sp- perspective on the game. Yeah. You mic'd up and you mic'd up to the water boy who's generally your assistant coach or the strength and conditioning coach who goes on there and relays the message in a, in a clearer fashion as opposed to effing and blinded. You got Kalaz at the side of the pitch screaming, going mad at the players, all emotion driven. Yeah. And I spoke about it in commentary and I said the difference is is fitness and strategy now. Yeah. Emotion can only take you so far in this game of ruggers now. And you've got your, your head coach on there just screaming at the players, at the ref, at the linesman. you like... It's, it's the French way though, isn't it? So you, if you think about it, you look at the team. So Leon, Pierre Mignone, he's on the touchline. You look at the Toulouse game on Saturday, Ugo Moller right on the touchline. Yeah. Um, Ugo Moller hugging the bloody touchline flag at the end of the game. Yeah. Like, what are you doing, mate? It's a big thing for the minute. They're it doesn't matter. Yeah, I know. Mate, it's like, what it's, are you doing? It's French. You can't describe it, can you? You can't explain no. why. But a lot of them are right on the touchline, ranting and raving. And that's, you know, that's the, the French do it the French way. I remember when I was at Montpellier, and this is one of the reasons I left. So Mario Ledesma, we were playing Bayonne away, and Bayonne had a really good driving line out. Line out before, jumped, got beaten in behind, Bayonne mauled us to the cow sheds and back. <laughs> Penalty off the back of that mall. Kicks to the corner, right? On the line out. We stay down. We stay down. I couldn't do it in French. Is, so that, I just, is that what you're saying? Yeah, we stay down. So stayed down, sacked them all to the cows come home. Then they ended up scoring on the far wing. Next thing, Ledesma comes running onto the pitch, right? And this is all on Canal Plus TV. Jim, Jim, we're paying you to fucking jump. Fucking jump. He's going ballistic at me. And then I'm doing the thing where you shrug your shoulders and he's like, eh, eh, like shrugging his shoulders. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, mate? I'm literally going to knock you out on the pitch here in front of your kids. <laughs> and the world's going to be watching, you absolute hillbilly. Yeah. And I'm like, what are you doing, mate? And the same with Toulon. It's embarrassing. Imagine being Mora Bougelel right now. She played two, lost two in Europe, unheard of for Toulon. Mark Del Masso's quit today. They are in terms... You think about that team that won... They won it three on the spin, didn't they? Stop sticking the knife in, mate. Mate, they're, 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 You talk teams up, and we talk teams up when they're good, like Leinster, like Saracens. But Toulon, uh, you're an absolute shit show. It's embarrassing. And that's why I tweeted, good evening, how are <laughs> my, my friends in Toulon? Because they have given me some abuse over time about the Matthew Bastro stuff. So I was just asking them how they were. Boujolau was going to go mad, didn't he? You know, he, he, sacked... he, he could walk away. He'd, he'd just be like, I had enough. <laughs> I out of here. So I don't know what Kalazo's English is like. The interview before, he's like, uh, yes, uh, the Edinburgh, have uh, they have a good pack and they have fast packs. I'm like, is that it? Is that all you've picked up, mate? Like, We lived in Gloucester for a bit, so they don't speak English either, do they? <laughs> <laughs> One last thing. Fekatoa's salary, he probably gets paid more than that whole Edinburgh backline. I love Fekatoa. 
Mefekato is brilliant. I think he's an unbelievable player. He's saying that because he's coming to Wasps. I've always liked him. Bastro comes back after five weeks. It was like, give Bastro the ball. Mate, they had nothing. Fekato had got the ball once. He got the ball once where he got given it out the back and he scored. Yeah. And then the rest of the time, Bastro's like, give me, give me the ball, give me the ball. And then he runs in and he gets absolutely bullet well, he doesn't. He makes, makes the game line, obviously. That's nice, Basil. Mate, it's still hard to stop, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Fakato gets the ball once. Mate, he got it twice, two or three times. I'm like, mate, he is one of the best ball carriers in the world. Great footwork. And you've got no strategy at all to give him the ball. But they're not coached. They're just coached. Two over didn't touch the ball. They're he just, touched it once, maybe, on the wing. They're just coached to play, aren't they? There's like, play. There's more to Off, it than Offload, that. play. You know, we beat them with offload. That's not how it works, boys. You need structure. You need an attacking... Fitness. You need to be fit. Yeah. You need an attacking game plan, a structure that every player understands what you're trying to do in attack. And that's how, well, they get. That's where the game's moved on. And the French still rely on just jouer, jouer, offload, offload. Uh, I watched Pickamole, and everyone raves about him. Watched him on Sunday against Newcastle. He got the ball once, stood still, on his own, about five yards from the breakdown. No communication from anyone around them. No one's talking. No one knows what's going on. And he walks into contact, gets turned over, penalty for holding on. And then he's like, this is shit. I'm like, that's your fault, mate. You How stood do you know there. he says that? Because I lip-read him. What, was, did he say it in French or not? Merde! Oh, butin de merde! <laughs> um, and he's just stood there, and he's blocked the, he's blocked the 910 channel, so Ruin Pinar can just pass him the ball. That's Ruin Pinar's only option. He's stood on his own. He's taking it standing still at Newcastle. It's pissing wet conditions. Windy. They've barred up, turned him over, and then he's like, oh, he's shit. Raging. He's raging at you all look, his teammates. Yeah, where are you? Where are you? I'm like... <laughs> Où est le mec? Où est, où est you? How do you say... Où est toi? Toulouse did all right against Leinster. Massive turning point in the game. Yes, they did well. And they played on the passion. The atmosphere was bouncing. So I sat there with my uh, brother-in-law and he said to me, what do you reckon? I said, Leinster will win this by 15. And so he put a bet on. But the try that Toulouse scored to win it, Leinster on the attack, the six points up, they're right on the edge of the 22. Toulouse is 22. And I'm thinking, Leinster will probably score again now and it'll be 13 points. Oh, I wasn't far off. They get the intercept, go the length, score the try. And then they hang on for the, for the, wit, the win. But... You know, yes, Toulouse are back in terms of being two from two and they've beaten the, the champions. And the worrying thing is Leinster, that gives them a rocket. Leo Cullen, if you saw his interview afterwards... Almost seemed like he wanted it. He was like, that's actually not a bad thing. You'd hate to be Bath now, wouldn't you? They'll hose Bath exactly. twice. Just on yeah, Toulouse, yeah. how good is that South African winger? Chisling Colby, sickest feet you've ever seen. Ridiculous. Yeah. Mate, rapido. Yeah, Love quality. watching him. Quality Mate, he looks like a 15-year-old lad. Blues, 12, 29... Against Glasgow, what do you I guys love, make? I of love the... the way you read that out. Blues twelve twenty nine against Glasgow. What do you guys make of the kick clash? Shocker. So two, I think, I think something like two weeks before every game, European rugby say, right, these are the kits you're going to play in. If there is a clash, normally the home team is the one that changes. But they said, oh, you know, the, the kit's fine. Who said that that is okay to play? Both teams have got literally light blue sky blue in their shirt that look very similar the sun's out it's hard to see who's on whose team imagine being a, a fullback you're running back Anscom running back from a kick return you're like who's on my team here who's trying mm. to tackle me who, who am I passing to so you know it, it didn't look great well, Anscom um, called it a disgrace didn't he yeah he's gone wild and you know whoever makes these decisions it's not hard Glasgow playing black at home don't they yeah just playing their home kit hang on so they've got they've got people in the office who are Making, sort, in, sort of making decisions on exactly. what, who's wearing what kit. Exactly. Mate, uh, a, there, there could be a job for me. They've had a shocker. Could be. You don't need another job, Jim. You said no, you, that's you, what work, I mean. Work-life balance. I'm going to quit it all and become the guy who makes decisions on who's wearing what. 
Right, you're not wearing anything, mate. Because <laughs> you look absolutely ridiculous with your shirt off. You look absolutely ridiculous. Furlong. In a good furlong. way. Oh, in a good way. Tad Furlong. You're not wearing a top, mate. You look absolutely hanging. <laughs> you say that from experience, too. No, I'm, I was more thinking Toner, but I don't want to get, get stuck into him. So apparently he, he single, single-handedly lost lengths to the game. That's the rumours coming out of Dublin. Johnny Sexton kicked it away. Two minutes to go. Yeah. What are you doing there, Johnny? He didn't want it. He wanted to take the defeat, so it's like, right, we'll bounce back now. This is our learnings. Smart. Before we get into the rest of the Champions Cup action, don't forget to check out our super fan subscription service on Patreon as well. Uh, for just the price of a coffee a month, you can get a load of extra content. Benefit from being added to our pre-release list for details on live shows, being with a chance to come into the studio and watch the show being recorded, and most importantly, support the pod, do more this season. I sat down with James Horwell for an episode of the Rugby Pod Sessions that's due out soon, so we thought we'd play you a quick clip now, and just head to patreon.com forward slash the rugby pod if you fancy listening to the whole thing pod 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 you kept in Australia 16 yes. times you're very proud Australian as well yeah I am how does it feel looking at the Wallabies now they're down to 7th yeah look I'm always proud of anyone that pulls on the jersey because I know what it takes to get there and what it means to most you know what it meant to me I still believe that it means a lot to the people that do it uh, now and look obviously they're going through a bit of a rough trot you know I think there's a, a, a number of contributing factors to that what do you think they are? Well, I think there's a lack of confidence. You know, I think they're scared about, you know, what people are going to think if they don't win. They're almost scared to lose because of the, the, the hit back of the public opinion, the public. Because rugby is no doubt, and I don't think we make any bones, it, it's struggling a bit in Australia. You know, it's as a game, as a whole game, not just the national team, but super rugby struggling. The crowds are low. Grassroots, the, the numbers are down a little bit. So I think as a whole, there's just this negative aura around rugby. And I think it, to get that back, we need to sort of try and bring some positivity to it. Because there's a lot of people in Australia that really do care about Australian rugby, but the hard thing in Australia is that it is such a condensed sporting market. You know, we only have 25 million people in the whole country. We're the only country in the world that has three fully professional, full contact sports that play at the same time, that are competing for the same players. So the same account, like young kids, same fans, same sponsorship dollars. No one's sort of in that. I, don't, I think it's quite a unique market mm. in that sense. And I think we, we just sort of need to work on what the core is of rugby and then build it up from there. And I think the the national level is the peak of it, the, ta- the national team. And it's just, they seem a bit scared to lose is probably the wrong word, but yeah, just fearing of, of the failure. Like, you know, in the end, they're going out, they're busting their ass, but sometimes the results just don't happen. And I, I still have confidence that there's some great young talent coming through and that next year at the World Cup will be there or thereabouts. And I've, I've, I still believe that. And I think Czech is the right guy to get them to the World Cup. Post that, we'll see. I think it might be time to, there might be time for something else to happen. But I think up until the World Cup, I think he's the right guy. And they just need to keep building on what they've got and sort of not worry too much about the external factors, which is easier said than done, particularly in Australia. Because they, you know, it's a, it can be a bit of a fishbowl. Pod, 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 pod. So, oh, hang on a minute. Talking about the Patreon.com. Do you remember what you said last month when we launched the subscription service? Vaguely, vaguely. Do you not remember? You two idiots normally make bets, stupid bets. Well, where have I come into this? Well, I you haven't yet. The old cat food. Remember that one? He made another bet, didn't he? He said, if we get to 500 subscribers... 1,000. Mm, I can pull up the audio content, but you did say 500. You did. You'd get a Joe Marler-esque mohawk. Guess how many we're up to now? 500? Not quite. 
Oh, 460. Okay. So we're getting close. We are. The Clippers are coming out. I'm going to put a time limit on that, though. Me not. Yeah. It has to be 500 before the end of the week. No, no, no. No, no, no. no, no. Yeah. no, no. It doesn't no, work like Before that. Christmas. 500 before the end of the before week. Before Christmas. I'll give you a time limit. It's only 40. It's only 40 more registrations. 40 registrations. You're having a Mohawk. I'll get a Mohawk. Mate, we know it's 40. If it's 460 and we're away from 500, it's 40. Great master, oh, no, mate. Great woman. If you want to see me get a mohawk uh, before the end of the week, go to patreon.com forward slash rugby pod and register. Series 2019 over Leon. Yeah, watch the game. Comfortable victory. Mark McCall not happy at all with the performance. Uh, apparently, didn't train much this week. Well, absolutely fucked from yeah. the Glasgow game. Exactly. I think the Glasgow game took a lot out of them. But yeah, so Saracens, although they got the bonus point at the end, I thought they played all right. I thought I think Leon are good. Like, from what I've seen of Leon, I think they're a good team. They've and they been... were stuffy, and they dropped a lot of the ball in the first half, but they I don't think the coaches were too happy about the physicality. And playing against... Sarri, them, Sarri's physicality. Sarri's physicality, well, you've yeah. lost your, your two most physical players, Billy and Mako. There you go. This is the thing. And that, so, that's the... You've got to be... You know, Mark McClaw's got to look at it and go, do you know what? I've got a bonus point. Home to Leon. We've picked up loads of injuries. Had a massive game, physical battle the week before. Yeah, we haven't played well, but... It's a mark of a top team, isn't it? You don't play that well, but hey, guess what? We've still got the bonus point. Exactly. Marrow's round one in from 60. Maybe, se- well. maybe 70. Marrow played well. I think Marrow, in that one run, Jim, when he stripped Cretin, was it? Cretin, what a name. <laughs> Cretin. Uh, anyway, Marrow stripped him, ran it in from 70. He's made more metres in that one carry than you made in your whole career. Yeah, but I was a very different player to Marrow. He's amazing. You're, you were shy to No, I was just, a, I was a grafter and... You know, a facilitator. He's a show pony, is that what you're saying? He's saying he's a show pony? He played well. Mara played well. Best yeah. game he's played in a long time. And he was playing at six. I, he carries better when he's at six. because yeah, he, he hardly carries. Yeah. I never see him carry big physical ball carries into contact. It's one of them where he makes that break and you're chasing him. You don't want to heal in the mouth, do you? You're <laughs> like, mate, go. Go, you good thing, go. Yeah, so one of his, I imagine, his biggest work on will be carrying the ball. Yeah. And Eddie's obviously said that. It, you know, his best position is second row and you, and you don't have to be that monstrous, powerful, agile ball carrier as a, as a second row than you do have to be as a six. So, you know, that's Eddie's decision, isn't it? Let's see what he does in the autumn. Crusoe's back in the mix. Crusoe's been playing a lot better. Yeah, Courtney Laws obviously comes back in and we'll get onto the England stuff later. But um, yeah, you know, Saracen's job done, isn't it? Loads job of them off on holiday now and it's the Premiership Cup this week, isn't it? So yeah. Kelly Brun you is might, heading that up. You might get a game again, Jim? Or? I'm doing commentary, mate. Oh. I'm doing commentary and seeing the kids again this weekend. <laughs> What'd you, what'd you make of Exeter over the weekend um, against Cast? Well, it's interesting. It? When Danny Cipriani got sent off for Gloucester against Munster, I was like, oh, it's game over. Cast get Vipulu. Who? Vipulu. <laughs> Vipulu. <laughs> uh, the number eight. Who Hang on. Vi- Vipu in the loo. Vipooed in the loo. Vipooed in the loo. Yep. Sent off a... Uh, Absolutely blitzing <laughs> Cowan Dick. Mate, what are you doing? Yeah, he's tried to preempt. He's getting the tip on isn't he and then he's like even if he's not getting the tip on he's having it boom yeah and that's what they're trying to outlaw you know you see big men upright tackles and it's you know the whole debate of these red cards or whatever his is a clear-cut red card you know he's he's tried to absolutely end luke cowan dickey shoulder into the jaw off the ball as well looks bad there's no question that's a red card but you see the jerome kano one from the week before they're tackling upright and you go back to you know the irish Leinster boys in Ireland bought in the choke tackle. There's a lot of upright tackling, and that's what they're trying to outlaw now. Because when you are upright and you're six foot, whatever you are, there's a very high risk of of catching someone in the head, and that's why there's so much debate. They're trying to change tackle techniques. Um, and I tell you, there's one person that there'll be a shockwave that will go through rugby. I think 
You watch Owen Farrell tackle, very upright, swings a shoulder. If he missed Rugby time, league style. Yeah, it's a rugby league tackle that they're trying to outlaw. I, you know, I worry that he will get, if he doesn't change his technique, and this is why World Rugby are trying to change the thought processes and, and the technique of people to protect the players and the heads and concussion, all that stuff. Owen Farrell could be one that might get sent off. Yeah. Going back to Exeter, in the Premiership, they are phenomenal, aren't they? Yeah. In terms of their levels of consistency. There's, at the minute, there's this clear barrier in Europe that... They can't get through. We spoke about it last week, mm. and we spoke about it in the lead-up. Exeter's big challenge for them is the Champions Cup. Yeah. And I just think physically, their game is based on hold on to the ball, physicality, five metres out, scrumming more. When you play against the big teams, and you play against the French teams, they've seen that all before. They're used to playing against that. And I just don't know whether Exeter have got, sounds really harsh, the star quality to be able to light it, light it up at that level. I think the gulf between the Premiership week in, week out and the big top games of the, the Champions Cup, there's a big, big gulf. Yeah. They could have beaten and probably should have beaten Munster. You know, what's happened at the end of that game? Why haven't they gone for a drop goal? Why haven't they, you know, they had the opportunity to, to try and win it? Um, you know, should they have beaten Cast down to 14 men? Of course they should. Stevie Maffey, the one glove wonder, scores a wonder try. Has he got one glove? Where's one glove? All right, mate. He's Michael Jackson. Um, yeah, they'll be very disappointed. And Rob Baxter will say that they're that close to being two from two. And that's European rugby, though, isn't it? It's top-level stuff that if you're not ticking all the boxes, if you're not right on the money, you don't win. Money was looking good uh, for Leicester, 45-27 over Scarlet Skies. Is he back in the fold? Best he's played, Yeah, I've seen. Front football. Yeah, he played well. I mean, listen, when he's getting one-on-one matchups, and that, that's the thing you talk about, something like that, if you run him into a brick wall like Bastero... You know, you're going to take three or four people to stop you. But if you manipulate defences and put shapes on where Manu Tulangi is getting one-on-one opportunities, he's bloody hard to stop. Mate, he was running at three or four, and he was still but knocking him down lots. Yeah, but he's also try. If you look at the actual first impacts, so the try he scored is a clear one-on-one that yeah. he bounces, and then two other people try and jump on him. Um, and that's what happens, isn't it? You make a half break, and defence comes across, and whatever. But he was back to his best. And did you chuck him straight in for England at thirteen? Yes, they have to. Mate, well, what would you do? Eddie is literally hands tied now, feet tied. Well, pre pre that game against Ulster, I was saying stick Manor on the bench and bring him on for 25 minutes of absolute carnage. When he's playing like that, just pick him. Well, we've got someone on the line, uh, a guest on the line, who can help us discuss the England side, the Champions Cup, and much, much more as well. European winner, World Cup winner, and Lions Tour winner, Lawrence Delalio joins us. Lawrence, thank you very much. How are you? Very well, thank you. Sorry, I was a little bit late on the uh, on the call. I've been uh, been in the gym, would you believe? So uh, yeah, in the gym. <laughs> you told me you're playing well, golf. Well, yeah, sort of. I did this morning, but I'm in the gym now. Yeah, so apologies for that, Goody. You, you remember what one of those is? I've never been no, in one in my life. No, I, know, I know Jim Hamilton. Have you, have you ever heard of him or not? <laughs> How are you, boys? Yeah, we good. We good. How's your weekend? Uh, yeah, well, I was at I was at Wasps, uh, the Rico uh, for the Wasp bath game, which is a bit of a uh, bit of a funny old ding dong. It, it has a funny atmosphere there. Wasps are, are not really playing that well at the moment, and just about hanging in games. And, and Bath aren't playing great either. It, it was some breathtaking rugby, some pretty abject defence, and it was probably one of those games that no attack deserved to lose and no defence deserved to win. So uh, you know, a thirty-five all draw was probably a decent result for those two. And then uh, and then I sat down on Sunday and tucked into um, into Leinster uh, or Toulouse. Leinster, which was uh, 
an altogether very different game. Brilliant for the competition that Leinster have been beaten, uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way, and great to see a powerhouse like Toulouse back in uh, back in the big time. And you spoke about Wasps there, a club that you're very tight with. How are things shaping, shaping up at Wasps? We've joked a little bit about, maybe more so me than Goody, about what Wasps going bust and stuff in the background around their training facilities. How are things at Wasps and moving forward for them? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, ill talk about the club behind the scenes. I'm not quite sure where that comes from, really. I think maybe a little bit of I mean, financially, Wasps are in great shape. Very, very good shape indeed. Um, and uh, I'm not sure where that where that comes from, all the chat about, you know, financially struggling. Uh, there's no business, there's no rugby business quite like Wasps at the moment in terms of their revenue and turnover. So I, I would, the heart wouldn't bleed too much for, for them on that front. Oh, man, um, I, I think it's some stupid podcast. There's another podcast out there that keeps uh, saying the Wasps are going bust, man. I have on, no on idea. The, uh, on the field, um, I, I said at the beginning of the season that, that, that Wasps fans were going to have to be uh, quite patient this year you know they're very much work in progress um, there's a lot of uh, shall I say swagger that's uh, that's walked out the door of wasps particularly with Cipriani and Haskell and I think uh, the signings they've made in Brad Shields and Sofoanga are obviously high quality but they're, they're not just going to come in there and start running the show uh, in the same way as those two have been for, for quite some time so I, I didn't think wasps would uh, would necessarily do that well in the first uh, opening block of games they've, they've not played well this season but somehow they've managed to win uh, Four games out of six in the Prem and, and, and one draw in the in the Champions Cup, but I, th- I think that they'll start to really uh, hit their straps probably sometime in the new year. Uh, mate, just talking about Wasps, I know you, you said off the field it's um, going from strength to strength. It's probably the corporate area that I'm running now, as you've as you've seen, Lowell. Um, you, men- <laughs> you, men- you mentioned Cipriani as well. Obviously, let's talk about the England squad. Um, something that you're massively passionate about. Well, Cip- no Cipriani in the England squad. Where, where do you sit with that? With him and players like Don Armand well, and Alex Good that are in sparkling form in the Premiership that you commentate on week in week out. Yeah, Eddie won't yeah, pick him. I mean, well, it's listen. It, it, it's very interesting. Isn't it? There's a lot of great players who are banging form, who just don't don't seem to get picked for England. Now, I, I don't know what Eddie Jones's criteria is for for why he picks certain players, but sometimes he has to be the, the person that thinks, well, can that player make the next step up to international level? And the, the reason why he's left those players out, you know, for, is because he doesn't either believe or trust that they can they can deliver what they're delivering week in week out on a on international scale now Cipriani is, is is an interesting one because you know he's he's had the talent for years you know he probably made the best England debut I've seen a young guy make many many years ago um against Ireland was man of the match so uh, there's no doubt I mean I, I, I personally I've, you know hand on heart I think Owen Farrell is the best 10 in the country and I think he should start in that position if we have centres that are uh, like Manu Tulangi who are strong enough and, and, and if we've got lots of options at centre. George Ford is a wonderful player when he's on the front foot and we saw that the weekend. Leicester back in the big time, you know, good win for them. Uh, I'm not so sure uh, he, he's what's required when, when, uh, when the forwards are getting uh, uh, second best. Uh, I think, you know, George Ford for me, you know, goes, goes missing a little bit. In which case, my, my view is that Cipriani offers something to, as an alternative to, to Owen Farrell. But the, the problem I think Cipriani has, and, it's, and, and I don't know whether you guys agree with it, is that he's got, definitely got X factor. There's no doubt he can create amazing things. I just wonder whether Eddie Jones trusts him to close out a test match in the last 20, 30 minutes when, uh, when things aren't quite going as well for England. And, and that's you know, maybe the reason why he's third choice um, and not first and second choice. Looking at the back row, your area of expertise, mate. Um, someone that we ch- champion on on the podcast, Don Armand, playing well week in week out for Exeter. He's not in the squad. And where do you sit now with the England back row, with the likes of Billy missing, Nathan Hughes suspended, and a few other injuries as well? 
Well, I mean, the reason England have lost six games is because, you know, in my, in my opinion, it's been up front. They've been smashed up front and uh, and they've come off second best. And, and obviously, Billy is a massive part of that. I mean, uh, Billy was only playing in one of the games that they lost. Uh, all the others he was missing. So, you know, we know how important he is just as an individual to both England and to Saracens. I mean, their, their win record of Saracens is, is, is up in the 90% mark when he plays and uh, is down in the, in, the, in the sort of 68, 70% mark when he doesn't play. So he's such a big player and he's a big loss for England. Up front, you know, we, we need to get England back to play in the way that they started to play when Eddie Jones first took over, which is, uh, you know, strong set piece, maybe dominating just ever so slightly in the set piece and, and just being nasty at the breakdown, which is a real area of a problem area I think for England at the minute but in the back row specifically we, we've got some problems because obviously no Billy no Sam Simmons no uh, um, no Nathan Hughes we, we need the ball carrier we need someone you know and I watched Maratoji play very very well for Saracens at six he's not played that well for England when he's played in that position and I'm always a little bit I'll be honest as a back rower a little bit suspicious when locks start getting picked in the back row it makes me worry because Maritoji is an outstanding lock so I would be nervous about picking him there and I do feel that particularly for the first game against South Africa I'm surprised that the likes of Don Armand and, and even Dave Ewers have not, been, have not been drafted into the squad not that they necessarily are going to be long-term options for England but you know needs must at the moment you know we're down to the bare bones and I think it's important that we, that we win that first game so I'm like you guys I scratch my head with Don Armand uh, you know, I, I think Eddie genuinely believes that what he does week in, week out, he doesn't carry the ball enough with enough ability to break the line compared to maybe some of the other options. But I think he's very hard done by. And then on the autumn, you know, Eddie Jones is under a lot of pressure. What are your predictions for the autumn with a very depleted well, squad? Well, I mean, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie sort of said in his press conference that he, think, he just sees them as sparring partners and that, and that England don't need to win any games. I don't know whether he was just sort of uh, trying to deflect a bit of the pressure. But look, I, I felt that, Maybe before there was any injuries, we, we might, you know, we should we, we should really be winning three out of four. We're at home. It's the, you know, we should be in, in good shape because we're right into the guts of our season. You know, those teams are all at the end of their season. And, uh, you know, for that reason alone, I think that three out of four is a fair return. If we lose to the All Blacks, um, that wouldn't surprise me because they, they've got the stunning ability to, to play well at any time. Uh, but South Africa, without the English-based players at Twickenham, end of the season, I think we should be winning that game. I really feel we should be beating Japan and I think, you know, given the strength that we have in our, t- in our team and in our squad, I think that Australia last up is a, is a winnable game too. So for me, you know, I'd like to say four out of four, but I'm being realistic. I think three out of four. Anything less than that, you know, I'm starting to think, you know, we haven't really got a credible chance of winning the World Cup. And then you look at uh, Eddie Jones and how he's got on with the press and some of the things he said. He's now brought John Mitchell in as well, who, you know, he was he coached you before, didn't he, years back in the day. And he divides opinion as well. How do you think that's going to marry themselves together? Well, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, I'm a lot, I'm a lot further away from the squad than I, than I have been in the past. So it's hard for me to sort of assess what's going on. But John Mitchell has been brought in as a defence coach and... I don't know. I mean, the Bulls weren't defending that great um, from what I could see. But, you know, that's the... I mean, John Mitchell, for me, where he adds real strength is the breakdown. because, And that's the area where all teams really have to work so hard to get quick balls. So I do think John Mitchell will add a... Well, I hope he'll add a significant amount to the England forward pack, particularly, and start getting... England forwards playing in that nasty, horrible way that we know we can, in, you know, and, and start to really dominate games up front. And so I do believe that John Mitchell will add something to the squad. Do I think we should our attack coach should be here during the autumn internationals? Um, 
and not in Australia, of course I do. <laughs> of course. Um, this situation around Joe Marler, a friend of the show, um, yeah. you spoke out about his early retirement in, in, in the prime of his life, of his career. You know, Have you got any more thoughts on that? Can you see other players in that situation as well? Well, I just, I mean, one, it's disappointing because, uh, you know, no, it's its unfortunate to retire at 28. But listen, we've all been in the environment. We all understand the reasons why. You know, I played back-to-back seasons myself for about four years where, for whatever, you know, because we, 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 were, we were doing well at club level. You're playing right up to the end of May. Uh, you literally have a day off. You get on a plane the next day. You're off on tour with England or the Lions. And then you come back. You've got two weeks off. And then you're back into your club season again. You know, I did that for four or five years. And at, at the end of it, I retired in, uh, in 2004 because I just had enough. I mean, I couldn't, I, I just couldn't cope with, with, with not being at home. And, and then I reversed that decision. And I came back out of retirement for the 2005 Lions. And so I, there's nothing to stop Joe from going back the other way and actually going, do you know what? I've changed my mind I'm actually you know I'm feeling a bit better with life now but you've got to respect his decision um it doesn't say an awful lot about the environment because if you're enjoying the environment you don't leave do you and and so that raises a little question mark for me and I mentioned the fact that you know these decisions should be made before the players make them you know why didn't someone pull him to one side and say look why don't you have a summer off take a sabbatical and then come back a bit fresher spend some time with your family. You know, you've got a guy like Alistair Cook retiring from Test Cricket, you know, because no one's given him a year off in, in 12 years. You know, in New Zealand, they're a bit smarter than we are, aren't they? They, they pull their best players to one side and they go, why don't you have six months off and, uh, and come back a, a fresher, stronger player? So I think there are things that we need to do to, to protect players at an international level if we want to prolong their careers. But, no one seems too bothered by, by by prolonging people's careers at the moment. Yeah, I think we'll, I think we'll see Marla back. I think that you're right, Lawrence, in what you said. There might be an issue with how he feels about the environment. I don't know. I but I mean, it can it can it can it can change his mind, and that's the point. You know, we we all make decisions on on instinct sometimes, and he, he obviously feels like he's he's been on a bit of a treadmill, and you know, he wants to concentrate on just club rugby and. But I tell you what, as you guys both know, it's such a wonderful environment to be in international rugby, and you've got to be very strong to leave it at the age of 28. That's for sure. It's not, it's not mate. It's not when you're getting hosed every week. Let me tell you that, Lawrence. <laughs> it might be when you're winning World Cups. <laughs> not if you're playing for Scotland. But obviously, you talk about environments, Lawrence, and you've obviously been in a fair few good England environments, the World Cup stuff, etc. Um, you got loads of good stories from your playing days. I just wanted to ask you about a few. You got one about an England player being ridden around on the dance floor by a champion jockey, haven't you? Was it Tyndall? I honestly can't remember. We've had, we had that much crack, um, you know, when we were playing for England. But, you know, and I mean, I mean that. You know, it, it was very simple. You know, if you win, you, you you can go out and enjoy yourself. If you don't, then you know, you couple of pints and, and up to bed, isn't it? Really. So, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we had some fantastic times, and, and I think nowadays, obviously, it's not quite the same. Um, you know, maybe they, they they finish a block of games like we've just seen, and then they'll go out and celebrate. I mean, I know the Wasps lads had a bit of a. A change, you know, would have had a change room session after the um, after the bath game because it's the end of a long block of of, uh, of training of games and you know whereas we might have done that a, a little bit more frequently, <laughs> but uh, no, listen, it, it is a fantastic environment and I think it's the players that drive that culture. Hopefully, you've got to remember it's hard it's hard work. It's about winning. It's about getting results, but. Back enjoying yourself as well, and uh, and that's certainly something I never struggled with. No, exactly. And one of your partners in crime always. I know he didn't play for Wasps. He was a Quinns man. But Jason Leonard, the fun bus. You've got some unbelievable stories about your time with him, haven't you? He's a larger than life character, although he's, uh, he seems to be slimming down now. I'm not quite sure what's happening with him. His metabolism's going in reverse. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> How's he get that? I need. I need that. Yeah, well, yeah, I see him at the gym, but it's um, it's normally to have breakfast with him. So <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, no, he's in very good shape. Uh, and listen, he, he's such a wonderful character. I mean, what a what a uh, what a stalwart of the game. He, you know, he's just finished that eighteen months of being RFU president, and I think that's a, 
that's enough to finish anyone else off. But uh, yeah, no, some wonderful stories. He, he welcomed me under his wing for my first cap, my first training session for England, and uh, I truly missed my first ever England team meeting. So he nearly got me uh, thrown out of the squad before it even started, really. So uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's a real real character, and I, I love spending time with him, as, as we all do. And Lawrence, uh, just finally, mate, you've got a very similar trophy cabinet to myself. Um, yeah. Won copious amounts of, of trophies, obviously World Cup and, and the Lions in 97. You know what's been your biggest achievement? What, what do you look back on now? When you, you know you look back all them years, what what was the biggest achievement for you personally? Well, I think I think two things, if I, if I may. One, one was uh, I think I was I was lucky enough to be part of the World Cup sevens team. In I mean, it's that long ago. I think Betamax. You can see it. On, on, in, <laughs> I think you could see it. The highlights on Betamax. But it's uh, 1993. I played with with Andrew Harriman and Co. And we, we won the World Cup. I hate to say it, Jim, but in Murrayfield, which was uh, particularly pleasant, um, we were obviously welcomed very royally uh, onto the pitch, and we beat Australia. At, we beat Australia in the final um, in in 1993, which was incredible. And then, to, you know, ten years later, uh, to do to, you know, to win the, the other World Cup at 15s, but do it in Australia against the same opposition. Uh, was very sweet. So I think those two. It's very hard to to, to look beyond that because. Um, you know, and in and in between, there was obviously a, a fair bit of uh, fun along the way. But the, you know, just sevens on, on, at one end when I was uh, young, fast, slim, and uh, slightly more athletic, and then fifteens, uh, ten years uh, later after that. You talk about all those achievements on the field, though. But you're, surely your best achievement was being uh, a backing vocal singer to Tina Turner, wasn't it? Well, listen, I mean, I hate to say it, but it did get to number one. Um, <laughs> the lo- the lol I mean, effect. I'll, I'll, Obviously, uh, you know there was there was Tina Turner, which was the, re- the reason it got to number one. <laughs> and then then there was ten guys picked out of a uh, out of a parade in in school, I think, and I was happened to be one of them. But no, it was great fun. Do you know, I still get royalties for that, um, and I donate them to charity. Before you ask, of course you do. I've uh, seen your yeah. house, Lowell. I've seen your house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just ask you um, just one question about the '99 World Cup? A, a tackle that you made on John Alomo, and then there were words said afterwards after you tackled him over the line. What, can you remember what the words were? Well, um, I tell you what, there's not many people that actually make it an attempt at a tackle on Joe Loma at that time. So uh, I think I've, I deserve uh, awards for bravery in the first place. But I'll tell you exactly what happened. As, as, I was, uh, as he broke through yet again, the back line, uh, I was corner flagging, as, as a good number eight does. Uh, well, certainly in those days. And uh, I thought to myself, I'm not going to make it. But I was, uh, I was a bit quicker than I am now. And I was sprinting like mad to tackle him. And as he was about to die for the line, Jeff Wilson pushed me in the back. Right? And I didn't mean to tackle him quite the way I did because my knee and my fist ended up in his, in his nose. I think I broke his nose but as, because I received a push from Jeff Wilson from behind. And I got up and there was claret everywhere. And I was thinking, oh, that was the most stupid thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and as we got under the post, uh, Jono started having a go at me, Martin Johnson. And I said, what's the problem? He said, well, now you've really made him angry. So, <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is a true story. So the reason it looks like a half-decent tackle is Jeff Wilson pushed me in the back. But, uh, well, I mean, what a player he was. And uh, all you could see that on the Monday morning in, in the video analysis is, as General Omu was sort of pulling up trees were players running in the opposite direction. So uh, I think I deserved, uh, I deserved the hand just for, just for having a go. All right, Lawrence, thank you so much for your time, mate. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you thank you again and enjoy the rest of the uh, Champions Cup and the commentating yeah. the uh, Autumn Internationals and whatnot. Thanks, guys. This is a lovely show. Keep it going. Cheers, Lawrence. Cheers, mate. I'll be sorting out that other rugby podcast as well that said that Moss are going bust. I'll get on to them, mate. Well, <laughs> well, listen, at least Jim makes this one quite funny. Well done. Keep it going, Jim. <laughs> thank <laughs> you, Lawrence. I like your hair. Cheers, mate. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Bye. Good, man. He's a good bloke.
Oh, top, should mate. have him in. Good friend of yours? He is, actually, yeah. Is he? Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's a good friend of mine as well. Yeah. Good friend of mine as well. He'd never heard of you before I said, it's Jim Hamilton. No, I've worked with Lawrence. I'm joking. Yeah, he took me under his, uh, under his wing. Look at your pathetic... Do you know how pathetic... His lap. Do you know how pathetic you are, Jim? Why? <laughs> you sit here week in, week out going, Wasps got hosed by 100 points, they go in bust, they got no money. <laughs> and then Lawrence on there, you're like, oh, Lawrence, there's someone on another podcast that said Wasps <laughs> is going bust. You're pathetic, Jim. So they're not... It's one of those... We, we used to have loads of battles, and you wouldn't remember this, Jim, but Wasps against Leicester back I in the do, day. I remember them. Yeah, you weren't playing. Well, I was um, usually like prepping you for them games. Oh, ACAD, like Waterboy yeah. and stuff. But, you know, he he's a proper good bloke away from the field and there's a lot of bravado about him in terms of when he played and all that stuff. But, yeah, rightly so. And he's brilliant on TV as well. But away from the cameras, he will sit and chew the fat with anyone. Yeah. We, were in, we were in Hong Kong with him, weren't we? Yeah. And he was just holding court at bars and like, good is a triple, have that, and Jim, there's a water because you're a lightweight. Like, yeah. I was just saying, so when we, uh, when we, when Scotland played England at Twickenham a couple of years ago, I was new onto the, the circuit, if you like, and me and Lawrence did the ITV stuff, and he said, oh, do you want to come for a drink after? I'm walking up, like, literally, like... Like a, I was going to say, like a sheepdog. Is it like a sheep or a sheepdog? Who goes first? Well, you're a lapdog. A lapdog, who knows? But anyway, <laughs> I'm following him following around. Like, all right. He's like, oh, you know, took me under his wing. And I just thought... It's generally it, a good bloke. It, it's, you know, it's one of them things. I think time. So I think if you've got time for someone, and this is where someone like Nigel Ray at Saracens is the same, you've got that much success, like Lawrence has, and you're that famous in terms of rugby circles, yet you've still got time for people. And I think that's a real, very good quality yeah. to have. And he's got that. And he goes without saying what he's done. And I just I just love him so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, was he really Tina Turner? Was that, is that true? He's a backing singer for Tina Turner. So. Really? I mean, that could be my um, alarm for the mornings. I'm going to try and dig it out. There we go. Oh, mate, should have asked Lawrence about the red card for Cipriani. Should have asked him. Well, he spoke about it on BT Sport yesterday. And, he, you know, it's one of those things, we, we, we haven't really talked about it yet, but everyone away from people that are involved in sort of lawmaking and understanding the direction that's coming from world rugby, you know, fans are like, oh, it's never a red card, game's on, gone soft. And as we sit here now, letter of the law, Cipriani's is a red card because of the way, you know, there's not a massive amount of force in it, but his tackle technique is high and he does throw the shoulder a little bit into his head. And his, bi- his bicep but, into yeah, his head, yeah. more than his shoulder. But, but it was contact, wasn't it? It was contact, and me and you have slightly different views on this, which yep. is fine. Not trying to cause controversy. Now, in the letter of the law and the way that the game is, it's a red card now. Yep. So I'm not d- disputing that it's a red card yep. in terms of the way the game is now refereed. Yeah. The interesting thing, and I'm stating the obvious here because everyone's speaking about it, is there's so many instances now in the game that are like that, if not worse. Yeah. In terms of force, in terms of contact, in terms of intent to hit someone hard, tackle yeah. someone hard. Cipriani hasn't really wanted to make that tackle. And no. Ackerman mentioned it yeah. in all support of him. There's no force and that's a rugby incident in what's happened there. That's what I think. Is it a red card in in today's current climate? It is. But there are worse tackles out there. But, you know, I'd say Jay Standers one was worse on Billy Twelve Trees. So you've just said it. And Billy Twelve Trees, I can't remember who he caught pretty high as well so what, so, so why is Stander not gone I know whether referee the referee hasn't seen it properly or the or the TMO hasn't it's one of those things that once you've sent one guy off you know the big bugbear of fans is and players is consistency of a referee right and we you know we talk about referees in here we praise them when they've done well and yeah they've got a damn tough job with this because 
a lot of people look at that Cipriani red card and go, oh, it shouldn't be a red. Well, even the referee who refereed him. He's like, I've got no choice. Yeah, he's, he's not like, mate, that's ridiculous, you're off. Yeah. You can see he has got empathy towards him. Yeah. And it's a tough one, but you know this is what World Rugby are trying to do. Get players to tackle low, to look after it, and it's going to continue. There's no getting away from it. There's no point moaning and saying, oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, Billy Vanapola tweeted how to ruin a game or something like that. And that's fair enough, but it's not changing. It's not going away, and it's going to continue through to the World Cup. And this is what Lawrence talked about on BT Sport. Players are going to have to change their attitudes. Players are going to have to change their techniques. And coaches. Their, and coaches, their understanding. You know, the people have said to me on Twitter, you know, are players now going to be coached to run with their head a bit lower so they might get hit in the head? Well, that's a ridiculous thing to say. There are some ridiculous comments flying around. And there are some ridiculous coaches out there that might think about that now. <laughs> well, should we have a look at a couple of rumours? Anything floating around? Well, floating, it's happened. Has it happened? Has he gone? Has Wade, Christian Wade gone NFL or is it not happening? And no comment. What do you mean no comment? Mate, no comment. Of course you can. No comment. Mate, what's the going burst? You heard it here first. <laughs> oh, now, now Lawrence. <laughs> no, listen, the, the thing with, with, with Wadey, the, there's a contract there in place and legally at the minute they're going through a process with him and his advisors. I don't think it's been handled as well as it could have been and Wasp will make a statement when, you know, legally things have, have, have been sorted away from, you know, the, you know, People released it and said he's going to the NFL. What I hear, he hasn't even got he hasn't even got a club. He's going for a trial. I don't like this Andy Good. I like the Goody who tells us what's happening. Is he leaving, yes or no? Well he's <laughs> <laughs> Say no more. Owen Williams to Scarlet. Yes. You can see that. Can't yeah, you, you can. You can. Right. Owen he's yeah, he's he's not played a massive amount this year. He's he's on a fat deal at most of He was he was one of the first to sign one of these big deals. Yeah, but then he's got, to go, he's, got, he's got to go back to to Wales to try and push himself forward for selection for for the Welsh yeah. t- national team. Uh, Gabriel Ibatoy potentially leaving Quinns. Okay, to be a direct replacement for someone else at Wasps. Fekitoa. Let's talk about him. My favourite player. I love Fekitoa. He could be going to. Uh, he could be going to Wasps. I reckon. Could be. So, I reckon don't know. Sarah's I don't know for sure. Just before we get into the good, the bad, the ugly, we're putting on regular live shows with Guinness in pubs across the UK and Ireland this season. The next two are in London on the 30th of October. We will have Leicester and England prop Alice Genge with us. That one's nearly sold out. And then uh, Cardiff on the 21st of November. So check out Eventbrite.co.uk for all the details and to get your tickets. All right, let's have a look at the good, the bad, the ugly. Andy Good. Uh, the good. Well, obviously, every week, plenty of good. Some unbelievable tries this week. Did you see uh, Thomas Young's try for yeah. Wasps? Yes. Hell of a try. That was good. Always got to mention Wasps. Um, we'll start off in... Well, I was going to say we'll start off in Scotland. It's not really Scotland. It's Cardiff. Glasgow bouncing back from their defeat to Saracens. Brilliant performance by them with the kick clash in Cardiff. Cardiff obviously buoyed by their victory over in Leon the week before, but Glasgow took them to task at the Arms Park. Um, Edinburgh, how good were they? Oh, I'm loving this. Edinburgh I'm loving were this, amazing. I love Richard Cockrell. Matt Cornwell, the team manager as well, he loves the pod. Spanking Toulon, 40 points to 14. People talked about how bad Toulon were, but Edinburgh were outstanding yes, at times. They were. Yes, they Very were. Very good. Terrible commentary on the game, but <laughs> outstanding rugby from Edinburgh. Uh, Manu, back on fire. 13 carries, 88 metres, 8 defenders beaten. Get him in the England team. There's our shining light that we need to hang our hat on and say, Manu. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Beat South Africa and the All Blacks on your own, please. Um, we'll go back to Wasps again, shall we? Oh, let's, mate. Always yeah. got to mention Wasps. Yeah, of course, mate. What's happening? But, Are you in the process trying to sort out your deal or something here? Big shout out to Wasps, actually. Not only did they have the Champions Cup game at the recap at the weekend, which is normal because it's a home game, they put the ladies' game on afterwards against Richmond. So Wasps ladies, back to back. Great for the fans. 
get them at the Rico Arena. Thought it was a nice touch. Maybe other clubs should look at doing back-to-back games. Uh, Chris Ashton, sale debut, scores a hat-trick in the Challenge Cup. Three walk-ins, though. That's why he's in the England Three squad, Three walk-ins, the, though. The ash splash was out, Jim, you ate him, but I love him. Hell of a tan on him still from Toulon. Um, look how bad Toulon are now without him. That's the impact that Chris Ashton could have on the England team. Get him in the team. Um, Toulouse, what a performance by them. They scraped and scrapped and they get the intercept at the end to get the win. Uh, but brilliant atmosphere. So good for everyone, as Lawrence Delalio said earlier, to see Leinster beaten and to lose. That was a great performance. What else was good? Nigel Owens. I thought he refed the game, rassing against Ulster really well, especially Simon Zebo scores points, uh, his finger and does a little celebration towards Michael Lowry. Nigel Owens calls him over and says, Simon, no need for that. Go and apologise to him now. Go and say sorry. Sorry. Go and say sorry to him. So he went over and said sorry. Top good. of the morning. Sorry, bro. Good, solid referee in there. Premiership teams against the Pro 14 gym. Say it. The Premiership teams in six games, we won four, and the Pro 14 only won two. We only won two. Good weekend for the Premiership rugby teams and the head-to-head against the Pro 14. Everyone bags the Premiership when it comes to European rugby, but we beat you 4-2, Jim, so pipe down. Okay. Uh, But finally, the good this week is two weeks in a row. The mighty Newcastle Falcons, my old club. I love them. I absolutely love them. They beat Montpellier eight minutes into injury time, scored the winner, two from two. That's huge. Dean Richards, happy as Larry, drinking the changing rooms dry this week. So the good this week goes to Newcastle Falcons, two out of two. And they paid for your extension in your house, so that's why you should always thank them. Not just the extension, they paid for the house. Um, the bad. There's a few bad things this week. We're going to start off with Exeter. We don't often say bad and Exeter in the same sentence, but their European failures have come back to haunt them over the past few years. Playing against Cast, who were down to 14 men, uh, couldn't get over the line there. They needed that victory after drawing at home to Munster last week. Um, what else was bad? The EPCR with a kit clash. That was pretty poor. Whoever sat in the office going, oh, that'll be fine, don't worry about it. His name's Bob, I reckon. His name's Bob. He's got glasses and he's clueless. And he's got no hair. Exactly. I mean, we're not stereotyping here. <laughs> uh, that was pretty bad. But the bad this week, only one place to go. It's my old friends in the south of France. Toulon, you are an absolute shambles. Jim Hamilton has called you gutless, has called you horrendous. No, I just said they're embarrassing. Embarrassing. There's another one. I don't want Bastro um, coming after me, Goody. Don't be I think it's their record ever defeat in Europe, uh, losing 40 points to 14 to Edinburgh. Absolute shambles down there. Bougelau is going to go mad. The bad this week goes to Toulon and all their fans for being very abusive on Twitter towards me. <laughs> Uh, the ugly this week, uh, only one ugly for me, and it's Mama Vipulu's brutal off-the-ball hit on Luke Cowan-Dickey. Horrendous tackle. I think someone called it assault on TV. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but it was something that we just don't want to see in the game anymore. So, a red card, he'll get a decent ban. Luke Cowan-Dickey's jaw's okay, and he's England's second-best hooker, so uh, we've got to look after him. Um, so the ugly this week goes to Mama Vipulu. Thanks, Goody, and thank you all very much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, follow us on Twitter, review us on iTunes, check out our new Superfan monthly subscription service on patreon.com forward slash the rugby pod, and if you're listening to us on iTunes, make sure you're subscribed so you get the pod a few hours before everyone else. Just go into iTunes and click on the subscribe button. Rugby pod. Rugby pod. Pod, pod, pod. pod.